Hi there, I'm Ben Pierce, and welcome to the Elevated You podcast, the podcast all about helping you in the tech world develop your professional skills. Each episode, we share the top tips, failures, and lived experiences of people thriving in the same world as you. I'm so glad you're here. So let's get going. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Elevated You podcast. Now, I've been really looking forward to recording this episode for ages because today we'll be talking about using humour to engage people. Now, I've only recently got to know our guest. She's been a a stand-up comedian for many years, runs the Brighton Comedy Course, is a published author and is CEO of Speak Easy Coaching. So please welcome to the podcast, Louise Stevenson. Louise, it's lovely to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. I am delighted to be here. (laughs) So, Louise, could you introduce yourself to us? Yeah, so I'm Louise Stevenson. I am a communications coach and I am CEO of Speak Easy Coaching. Um, I teach public speaking and stand-up comedy. Brilliant. Now, um, I guess I've been in the tech world for for all of my life. That that that's where my career is, and and it's um, it's it's hard for me to I guess to imagine the life of of a stand up comedian uh, and and an author and all of those things that you're doing. So I want could you tell us a little bit what what's life look like for you as as running a comedy course, being a stand up comedian, a coach, all of those things. Well, I started in 1999 um, in Wellington, New Zealand. I had been backpacking um, and I think I'd wanted to do stand-up for quite a while and I met a comedian who just happened to run uh, comedy courses and invited me to a space on the following course, which started the next night, so one of those things. Um, so I did my first course and I did my first stand-up comedy gig in a dark and dingy room uh, <laughs> in, in, in Wellington to around, oh, 25 Kiwi goths um, <laughs> who had very little exposure to a Glaswegian accent. Um, but luckily for me, they had a lot of exposure to the Proclaimers and the Proclaimers was for my end joke, so it went down quite well. Um, so I went on to work in the Australia circuit and then the UK um, as a comedian, I mean, I love the stage time, though the travel and the lack of decent paying work at the beginning, the beginning is really hard going. Uh, it's also quite hard to juggle a full time job around two nights in Manchester, two nights in Glasgow. Um, though it was fabulous to share the stage with so many amazing comedians. Um, I still really enjoy comparing now, uh, though I'd say, Ben, that business is very much my focus now. Um, But it's been great to be able to use the techniques from the comedy world to help others create this engaging content uh, and to deliver with confidence. And and so when you were on that circuit, is it a case that you'd be writing by day uh, and then delivering by night? Or would you have a routine? Were you delivering sort of the same routine with a few tweaks? How, how does that sort of work? 
Uh, a bit of both. So mostly you would be writing during the day, um, but you do build up to a five to seven minute slot, um, a routine that you um, tweak and, and, and make marvellous. Um, and then you go on, once you're more established, you're doing 10 minutes and 20 minute slots. And so how do you then go from being a stand-up comedian to being CEO of Speakeasy Coaching? Um, well, I felt the skills were there um, and it felt a natural progression, actually, um, to be a coach. Uh, and I, I hugely enjoy the variety of my work. Um, one day I'll be delivering a workshop to a Fortune 500 company and then the next day I'll be um, back-to-back one-to-one coaching sessions. Uh, I love the variety and, and look, the clients are delivering things like an, an angel investor pitch or a preparing for a client meeting or a TED talk. So it's very fulfilling to see clients kind of growing confidence around delivering and, and as a stand-up comedian, that's what you do. You're connecting with audiences. So it was very much a natural progression for me. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I wonder if we could maybe start to to dive into the meat and potatoes of the, of, of the podcast and, and start talking about um, stuff that, well, I'm hoping is going to be really valuable for me, but also really valuable for our listeners as well. So if we start to think about the humour side, so when you're talking in any kind of thing, what are the benefits of injecting a bit of humour? Well, humour keeps your audience engaged. It can break up technical language and lighten even the heaviest information loads. Using humour in a a presentation or a meeting makes you memorable. Um, And it came as no surprise to me that the common denominator in the top five TED Talks was humour. So I think why it works is humour, it lowers defences, it makes your audience more receptive to your message. It also makes you seem more likeable and people are more willing to do business with or support someone they like. Um, And I think a lot of people think, oh, I can't possibly add humour in what I'm doing. Well, I've got an IT client who had a huge presentation last week in an industry event and he couldn't think for the life um, of him how to add humour. So I did a, a simple Google search 10 things you don't know about IT Uh, and one of the facts that came up was that 85% of people who work in IT don't tell their family or friends for fear of being asked to help. (laughs) (laughs) So he used that and it went down a storm. So, uh, so just play it back then. What I think I heard you say were that you know key key reasons and why I want to think about using humour a bit more often makes you a bit more likable. A lot of people would say I need that help. A bit more memorable. Um, so likable, memorable um, breaks down barriers and sort of lightens the topic up. Yeah, yeah, but and to add on that, it it will help you to build rapport and connection. It also shows that you're relatable. Um, and it reminds your clients or the person that you're doing business with that you're a person, not just an employee or a business owner. Okay, okay. So I wonder if you could give us some tips then. So, um, you know, it, when we're talking about some of these topics, which, you know, honestly, they can be a little bit dry. Um, 
what what top tips, what uh, tangible or actionable things could I do um, to start to throw some humour into a presentation that I was preparing for? Um, okay, so when I say humour, I don't necessarily mean tell a joke. Um, I mean okay. using a humorous observation or an entertaining fact or statistic that's maybe relevant to your industry. Um, you can also use anecdotes or personal stories um, or quotes. So when I deliver, I often start with public speaking. Um, according to most studies, quotes like this. According to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Number two is death. So that means to the average person going along to a funeral, you're better off... In the, ca- in the casket than reading the eulogy. Um, so that's a quote by Jerry Seinfeld. So there'll be a quote or a, a fact, a statistic that'll fit your industry. Um, another thing you can do is capture your audience's emotions or thoughts. So, for example, as many tech people are, if you're presenting complex technical information where your audience might feel overwhelmed or downright lost, you can use the phrase, I know exactly what you're thinking. Uh, And then you can follow up with one or two options. You can say the opposite of what they might be thinking. For example, I know what you're thinking, this seems super easy and straightforward. Um, or the second option is to s- state the exact emotion. So I know what you're thinking. Is it too early for a drink? Um, so you can use either of them. Other things that are great to add humour is memes and GIFs. Um, there's a really good website, giphy.com. Um, and you can find an expression or a GIF um, to fit with most points that you're trying to make. Now, what I will say in that is use sparingly. Um, You don't want to overdo it. Uh, The other couple of things you can do, you can add some personality to your presentation title. Um, For example, 10 ways to tighten your cyber security without losing your mind. Um, and and lastly, photos. Photos are brilliant. Um, I've used a photo of Homer Simpson before during a presentation uh, to illustrate people's fear of public speaking. Um, and it works. It resonates with an audience. Uh, so I think it's important that you don't overdo humour in a presentation and don't force it. It needs to feel natural. Brilliant. So I'm just, uh, I'm literally writing notes here and just sort of thinking through so I can keep these in my mind. So things I think I've heard to take away, you know, from this, look at really interesting facts and, you know, just a, a quick search on whatever, you know, Google's a quick search and find something interesting that's out there that you can reuse and repurpose in a humorous way. Love that. Um, now, I love the idea of, of getting the emotions and thoughts of the uh, of the of the audience in there and then doing the opposite. I know what you're thinking and then doing the opposite or, or taking it, it seems almost to the extreme. Like I need a drink at the bar or something like that. That's another really good one. The memes and gifs got that lovely titles, you know, trying to put in a bit of a fun. Any any tips on, on how do you 
think about making that punchy title because often if you're speaking at a conference or you're speaking that's all people have got to go on is just the title any tips on how you make that title really uh compelling or exciting well, um, as you see in marketing and magazines and magazine art- articles, they'll be saying five ways, ten ways. So um, I think that's often quite a compelling way to get... Uh, people have such limited attention spans, so that's a really good way um, to get them to tune in, to know that this is how many they'll be tuning in for a, a short time. Um and then, um, you know, you, I don't think it needs overthinking. Um, just have a play about it. I think you can have a bit of wordplay. Um, and imagine that you're speaking to a friend in a pub. Uh, you know, keep it real and, 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 and with a lack of technical language, you know. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Now, now, one of the times that you said uh, to use humour uh, was in an anecdote. Um, you know, when, when you're telling an anecdote. I've heard some great anecdotes and I've heard some really dull anecdotes. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that they actually added anything to, to the situation. Is there any um, uh, perspective or tips that you'd share on when you're telling an anecdote, how you make those more engaging? I think keeping it short and snappy. You don't want an anecdote that's going on an hour and a half. Um, and, and, and run it past people. When I'm writing new material, I will be... Um, you know, and we're a friend in a bar and I might just say, I won't present it as material, I'll just run something past and get a feel of what response it gets. So try and do it as an, a, a natural way as possible. And and do you find that when you say it out loud, you get a different response? You know, you think this is going to be awesome. Somebody else hears it and thinks, oh, actually, that's not so awesome. Or or actually, it's doubly as awesome as you thought it was when you say it out loud. Does it, does it feel different in your head to when you say it to people out loud? Um, well, as I've been a stand-up comedian <laughs> for a long time, Ben, I, I'd, I'd like to say it, it, it often works out. Um yeah, I think writing and, and crafting content, you know, it's been something, I, you know, I wrote novels as well. So it's something you become attuned to the more you practice and, um, and, and having the confidence to just say what's on your mind. Um, I think you get better at it and, and as a result, your content becomes more aligned with how you would th- think it would go. Yeah, yeah. Now, now earlier on, you you said a great quote from uh, Jerry Seinfeld about um, rather be dead than, than public speaking, and and some people you know have a terrible fear of, of public speaking. Some people even more so, you know. So if I think about my wife, for example, who would identify as an introvert, um, the idea of being a stand-up comedian or even doing any public speaking um, horrifies her, and it's not something that she takes energy from. It's something that she does as a necessity, as opposed to something that she wants to do um but but what are your thoughts on those that are really scared or or perhaps people of a more introverted personality do they make great public speakers i think it's possible um for sure that um introverts can also make very good public speakers Public speaking's mentally draining for everybody, um, but more so for introverts. Um, introverts are very introspective. They often think before they speak, which often gives them a chance to form unique insights. So that makes them, a, you know, an interesting speaker. And if they can just learn 
to untangle their social anxiety from their presentation skills. And key, just control what they can, then yes, I think we practice they definitely can become more confident about sharing their insights. Um, I mean, I think most people fear public speaking so much for fear of failure or embarrassing ourselves. Um, but, and, and, and I, you know, I totally understand that speaking in front of others can be hugely stressful. Um, and stress doesn't always help us make the smartest decisions. Um, there was some recent research actually that showed that anxiety caused by stress doesn't just cause bad decision, it can actually lower IQ, which was fascinating. Um, so being able, be, being able to overcome that fear uh, has much wider benefits. No, I don't think just their professional lives, but also in their personal lives. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. I, I must admit, I've done a little bit of research over the years on, on uh, I'm going to say neuroscience, but that's and, you know, just a little bit about how the brain works. And, and it is fascinating, this idea of how, I guess, the lower level parts of your brain, when you're feeling stressed, really kick in and they like raise your heart rate, you start sweating, all of that kind of stuff. And, and that's happening independently of your rational part of your brain, which knows, hey, I'm just standing up in front of, of in front of a few people. But it then does change the way you think. It changes the way your rational brain works. I find it fascinating how that level of stress can change how you, uh, yeah, the decisions you make. And as you put it, lower your IQ. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's, it's a really is a fascinating topic. I had a TED Talk client. She was the youngest that did a TED Talk, actually, some years ago. Um, and she was 17, I think. Now it's like 10 or something. But um, she did a TED Talk on um, neural pathways, and it was absolutely fascinating. And, and, and that's what I love about being a coach. I mean, I can be working with somebody who's a marine biologist one minute and then someone who's talking about depression and exo. Um, but she was talking about that and, and how the neural pathways, it, it's almost like a hedge, you know, and you, you cut through that path and it's easier. And then you cut through the path again and the path's there. So I I, I often think that's quite a good visualisation um, when we think about confidence and doing things that are new. Once you've navigated yourself through that path, it's easier the second time. Yeah. So so doing it again and again and again and, and, and practising it. And and I think there's, there's something to be said about doing I think sometimes people think that every presentation that they do needs to be unique. You know, I've crafted the entire thing for this, you know, this situation. But but from my experience, it seems that that crafting something once well and taking it on the road, that, that's what a lot of the professional communicators do. When you see the big people, the big comedians on stage at O2, they're not given a different routine every night. It might be slightly tailored, but there's something to be said for just isn't there? just practicing and doing it again and again. Exactly, exactly. When, I, when I'm when i coaching people, I just, especially with comedy students, I would tell them to split their time into three. And this is my public speaking client, actually. If you've got three hours, write for an hour, edit for an hour, and then rehearse for an hour. Um, it's a really good way of breaking down. I can tell when people have turned up to a coaching session and all they've done is write. 
because their delivery will not be as strong. Um, by saying things out loud, we you, you get your nuances, your delivery, your pausing, your timing, all get sharper. And of course, what happens as a result of that is it's embedded in your memory. You know the content better. Um, so as a result of learning, delivering, learning, delivering, it just makes that content so much stronger and, and much more um, making an impact with your audiences. Now, that's brilliant. So so you said for write for an hour, edit for an hour, um, rehearse for an hour if you've got if you've got three hours to prep. Brilliant, because certainly I know the culture uh, in the world that I've come from, prepping for a presentation would mean I spent two hours on the slides. <laughs> then there's, there's, there's no practice, there's no edit, there's no rehearse. It's literally I spent two hours on the slides and then I turned up. But you're, you're fundamentally... So when you break it down into write for an hour edit for an hour and uh, rehearse for an hour. What What's writing mean to you and what does editing mean for you? So writing is, thinking of it as a, as a first draft, just getting a, a, a flow of consciousness um, and, and, and not censoring or, you know, and trying to squash that inner critic, you know, it, 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 it serves no purpose to be going, oh, that's rubbish, that's, oh, that's not smart enough. It's, it's, a, a first draft is exactly that. Write what's on your mind. Try and just get a flow of content. Um, so often I'll use um, spider charts or mind maps and uh, I use this for so many different things. I use it um, as a writer, if I've got a new character coming into a novel, I'll put his name in the middle and I'll write the nuances, you know, how he walks, how he talks to people, his relationship with his family. It's just a great way of brainstorming content, um, which uh, the creative process of doing that, for some reason, I think it kind of blocks out the inner critic. Um, it's, so it's a great way of fleshing out content. So I love a mind map. I think they're fabulous. Um, and writing a presentation, I would just put in the middle what the topic is and then I would just spider off and write things that I would like to get in that content. Um, for editing, that's looking at things and, and you know... We often can be overwordy and, and sometimes being overwordy will really take away a key message or get in the way a key message. So so it's just having that flow first, enjoy it, just let all your ideas go and then when you go to edit, have a look and just see what words you can go. Sometimes it might only, in a paragraph, it might only be the difference of 10 words taken out that will completely change uh, the, the impact that it will have um, and again these things are practice I mean I'm a much better editor 20 years down the line than I was at the beginning so it's practice um, and rehearsing you know I, I remember when I started stand up I bought a, a mic from Argos um, and I walked about the house delivering material and, and trying that material now you will, of course, feel terribly self-conscious at the beginning. 
But the more you do it and the more you can just get out of your own head um, and practice, the better you will become. People will often say to me, Louise, what, what, what's the trick? What's, you know, there, there isn't any. Um, being a confident communicator is about holding your own and practice. Yeah, brilliant. I, I heard an, an excellent quote Um I don't know where it's from, but uh, it, it was uh, write fast, edit slow. The idea that you just spew everything out, you know, just keep it coming, keep it coming, keep it coming. And then you, you slow. And then there was another quote on the back of that of murder your darlings, you know. So you've spewed all this stuff out and some of it's brilliant. And then you've got too much. And now you've got to go through and edit and take this out and take this out and take this out and take this out. It's a very different, um, very different approach, I think. Um, brilliant to hear. It really is. I mean, I, I did a um, a master's degree in creative writing, I think about five, six years ago, and, and I was writing a, a novel, actually about a serial killer who's a stand-up comedian, um, and, and and George picks his, uh, his victims from the audience, so he, he's a big old weirdo and great fun to write. Um, but yeah, I was ve- I'm very much an overwriter, and that's something that our tutor would often are you an underwriter or overwriter? And for me, editing as you go would ju- it's just not how my brain works. Um, but no, I love that quote as well, Ben, about writing fast, editing slow. I've not heard it before, but I like it. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So, so we've got um, write for an hour edit for an hour, rehearse for an hour and getting on your feet and practicing. That's one of the things that you, you were talking about there, which, like I said, from my industry, that's what, not what people do. They, they sit there and write their slides and then get up for the first time when they're going to deliver it. But you're advising get on your feet and practice it. The equivalent of getting your mic from Argos. Yeah, <laughs> there is other retail stores out there, Ben. But um, no, I think it's a there's just so much in it. I mean, and. Being especially in front of a mirror, I know because we're all so critical with ourselves sometimes, but doing in front of a mirror, you can see your hand movements, you can see what your posture looks like. Um, you know, a lot of my students uh, will, will video uh, their performances. Um, now, that's great to do if you can be objective. If you're going to absolutely kill um, <laughs> and be far too overcritical, then it's not a good method to use. But it's great to see your verbal tics and, and to be able to see how you present. And, you know, animation, I mean, I've, I've coached, you know, all sorts of people, you know, and you can see all these techniques and politicians and, and how they drum down making a point. Um, it, it's hugely fascinating and it makes all the difference between somebody going straight to their phone because they're tuned out or, or really delivering a message that people are going to remember and want to speak to you about after. Brilliant. Well, do you know what, Louise? You wouldn't believe it, but we're coming towards the end of our time now. Uh, (laughs) um, So I I guess it'd be great to finish off just to reinforce. So what, from your perspective, what would be uh, the key takeaways uh, for our listeners that want to inject a bit bit more humour and engage uh, the audience a bit more? Um, I've got some key points here, but um, I thought it'd be great, Ben, just to mention about the common pitfalls that um that I I noticed from my tech clients. Okay. Yeah. Um, so so you touched on um, many lean heavily on slides now. Text heavy slides is my 
biggest bugbear. Um, so yeah, and I find often with my tech clients that they go into more detail than is necessary. Look, I understand that it's difficult when presenting to audiences with varying levels of technology and skills awareness. You don't want to dumb down and lose credibility with technical colleagues, but you have to find a way to break down complex data for a varied audience. Identify the problems or issues and the, that the client faces and explain how you're going to fix them. You don't need huge amounts of detail. Um, I'll tell you, if, if huge amounts of tech detail are needed, maybe, for example, if you're collaborating with another tech companies on a project, then consider having a separate meeting and then sharing a summary after, keeping the language simple. Uh, if you know some of your audiences are going to struggle with content, address it. Uh, and follow up with what's in place to help, whether that be an information page or a follow-up Q&A. But address it, don't ignore it. Yeah, no, that, that is so true. And in fact... Uh, in fact, we, we had a we had a, an episode um, a, a few back where we had a CEO on coming on, and and that's exactly what he was saying. And he, and he had a great um, analogy of the top of the waves. You know, thinking of a wave uh, out in sea and and how he's skimming the top of the waves. And sometimes we in tech get consumed by the detail of what's making up that wave. And actually, those types of audience just want to take the top of the wave. That's all they need. That's enough for them. Backs up exactly what uh, Tony Whitehall was saying the other week. For, oh, for sure. Um, it's such a good point. Um, and so key takeaways for our listeners would be, well, for people who want to be stronger communicators, number one, don't be afraid to add your personality and a little humour to your presentation. Number two, you can be a strong, confident presenter with practice um, and some determination, regardless of being an introvert. Number three, you can always find ways to connect and relate to all of your audience, regardless of the complexity of the data. Brilliant. No, thank you. And I think as I'm sort of reflecting uh, on on the on the things that you said, and I'm just looking at what I jotted down on my notepad as I was, as I was going through there. You know, I loved because I really like the practical, tangible things. Right, you know, when I'm doing my next one, what is it I can do? And so I like the idea that you were thinking about do, saying the opposites. You know, uh, coming up with those really interesting facts using memes, uh, that kind of stuff, uh, spicing up a story, that was really good. And then I really loved the, the part, and so agree with this This three hour, when you we got three hours to prep, you do an hour, uh, hour writing, hour editing, hour rehearsal, not three hours slides. Yeah. <laughs> um, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Uh, well, Louise, it's been so lovely to, to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. How can people get in touch with you? Well, if people want more information on one-to-one coaching or group workshops, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it is Louise Stevenson, Stevenson with a V. Um, and there's articles, tips and ways to work with me on Linktree. Um, and that's at Louise Stevenson Coach. Um, or have a look in the website, speakeasycoach.co.uk. Um, thanks very much, Ben, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure.
Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Louise. Yeah, it's been a pleasure for me too. Once again, thanks. So there we have it. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to the podcast for updates and, and rate the show. It really does help spread the word. And get in touch with me on LinkedIn. Bye for now. <laughs>